I'm very grateful to be back, and thanks to Mother Penelope for inviting me. And uh, sometimes I run into people from St. Luke's, and they ask me, are you enjoying your retirement? And I tell them, yes, <laughs> yes. But I don't get the opportunity to say to all of you how much I miss you. I miss you. And um, so I'm glad to be back today. Um, I, oh, oh, I was going to say something else. You know, things pop into my head when I'm at the liturgy, which is maybe a good reason why people ought to come to the liturgy. Things occur to them, both good and bad, but it's a good thing to, to do on a regular basis. And here's the opening verse of Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar? Why do the people mutter empty threats? Gee whiz. I passed out a reading list. I used to promise to do this more often than I did to people at the 9 o'clock sermon discussion. And um, I just want to mention it's a completely idiosyncratic list and there's some important books there, there's one book I want to mention before I get into the sermon that I think was very, very uh, enlightening to me about the present circumstances, and I recommend it, and some of you may have read it, and the title is Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. It is an absolutely outstanding book, and it gives us a description of um, why are the nations or the country in an uproar why do people mutter empty threats? And uh, it's, it's just a great book, so I commend that to you as well. So this is the last Sunday after Epiphany, and on Ash Wednesday we begin the solemn season of Lent. And I always look forward to this Sunday. I love the Transfiguration story. The, the Feast of the Transfiguration is August the 6th, you know, uh, August the 6th was when uh, the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima. So there's a sort of transfiguration that took place uh, then that may not be the most felicitous. And I'm not going to talk about that, but I just want to file it by title. So the last Sunday after Epiphany is the culmination of this season, this mini green season that begins with an Epiphany the Epiphany, the manifestation of Christ to the world. And it ends with actually two epiphanies, Moses on the mountain with God and the story of the transfiguration. Jesus transfigured before James and Peter and John and seen to be walking with two of the great figures of the messianic hopes of the Jewish people, Moses and Elijah. What a moment. So in my sermon, I'm going to do a brief recapitulation of the season. You know how I love the word recapitulation. <laughs> so I'm going to do that. And I want to say some things about the first two readings. And then to focus on the story of the transfiguration. Uh, in two ways, to describe, uh, the, describe it, but also to allow us to respond to the idea of a mountaintop experience, which is a way of saying, have you had in your life any signal moments 
that you have believed to be transformative and how have you used that material at all and if you haven't are you ever worried or nervous that it's a problem because you haven't so we might want to talk a little bit about that so we have the mini green season the mini green season is about um, green season the big one is about Christian discipleship its nature its cost and the ways and the means how do we become a student a follower of the Savior Jesus Christ how do we do that but all of the readings in this mini green season are tinctured with the idea of the manifestation of Christ how is God made manifest in this human being and what we understand as Christian people and what the gospel witness gives to us is that if, we're, if God were walking around on the earth, this is what he'd be like. And not only is that so, he has given us tools that we can use to recover our divine center. We are not God, but our true self is God. And we focus on that during this green season. In the reading from Exodus, I have a book I didn't include on my list. What have you been doing during your retirement? I have been doing a lot of reading. I used to do a lot of reading anyway, but I love to do this. And I've read this book called Who Wrote the Bible? by Richard Elliott Friedman. He is a Hebrew scholar and an Old Testament scholar. And he wrote a book about the writing of the first five books of the Old Testament. It is absolutely outstanding and accessible to the general reader. And I commend it to you. So he, he is the great foremost exponent of what I learned in seminary was the four source theory, J-E-P-D, that put together the Torah. So he sang once, J-N-E-N-P-N-D, wrote the B-I-B-L-E. <laughs> Now you know. In any case, Moses goes up there and he's with God. He experiences an epiphany. This appears in the lectionary for Christian people because it's the first instance that we see in terms of the source and the continuity of the tradition of salvation history where we have the bridging of the gap between the human and the divine. Moses is up with God and he's there for 40 days. Whenever you read uh, 40 days in the Bible, what it really means is a long time. So he was up there for a long time. And we haven't had him come down. He'll come down, but he's there now and the cloud comes down and God is present in the cloud and in the fire in this case. But we will see and hear something about you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So this is a story about the bridging of the gap. I was thinking when I was writing my sermon being in London and being on the tube and when the door opens and you have to get out it says mind the gap. So we don't need to mind the gap because our uh, Christian pilgrimage is about closing the gap between the human and the divine. In the reading from 2 Peter, here's what I learned about this in seminary. 2 Peter is the latest piece of literature in the New Testament. 
It was written probably after 100 A.D. And therefore, it's problematic about attributing the author to Peter himself. And so, you need to know something, though, about all this. I, there used to be a phrase that I was constantly made aware of by the people who taught me, or some of the people who taught me, and that is, we now have the assured results of modern biblical criticism. Don't you believe that for a moment? It's not true. And what they discovered was there is a section in this reading about the transfiguration story that is really old and predates the description in the Gospels. So somebody was in the possession of a very primitive tr thread of the tradition. But the other thing that I like about Second Peter is, first of all, you must understand this that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You've heard me say often, I think all of us need to be a greater student of the Bible. And if we're fearful about the idea that we're going to get mixed up with some sort of evangelical outlook to the Holy Scriptures, don't worry about it. Don't you think, by the way, it's a good idea to be able and willing to express to another person your greatest place of safety and assurance? That might not be a bad idea. A good principle that we can follow when we get from the biblical witness. I didn't mention, by the way, earlier, and I don't want to lose it, one of the things that the Green Sundays between Epiphany and then we get to Lent uh, are that they talk about the importance of the church. We tend to sit lightly on that now and there are good reasons for that. But the church is important and coming is important. The way in which people begin to get it is to come and somehow to understand the way that works. But also the church is important because of this, the church is the single multi-ethnic family promised by the Creator God to Abraham. It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. It was energized by God's Spirit, and it was called to bring the trans who was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. That's our job. God's rescuing justice. To the whole creation. So we need to focus in our prayer and in our relational life not on difference but similarity. Not on difference but similarity. So the, the transfiguration story. This is my favorite one. Jesus is on the mountain with James and Peter and John and he is transfigured before them. If you read this in Greek, uh, 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 if you read this in Greek, the word that is used for transfigured is metamorphosi. Have you heard that word or a word like that? Metamorphosi means to be changed, transformed. So in science, we talk about the metamorphosis of the chrysalis into a butterfly or the, 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 the 
uh, caterpillar into the chrysalis, into the butterfly. Now here's the important thing. When that happens, uh, the, 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 the thing in the chrysalis doesn't understand that they're going to become a butterfly and don't know when. It just happens. So Jesus now is transfigured before them. Father Thomas Keating, one of my favorites, says, The divine source of his human personality poured out through every pore in his body in the form of light. And if I were an Eastern Orthodox Christian, a Greek or a Russian, I would say to you, what the disciples saw was the uncreated light. So, how do we make sense of that? Have you ever seen anybody whose face has shown? Some good thing has happened, some transformative experience. Yeah, people say, gee, you look different. When I was in seminary, I had to come back to San Francisco from Neshota House one time, one of the times, in about 1973 or 74. And I had to visit all the diocesan minions who put you through the ringer. And it happened to coincide with an event in the Episcopal Church that was quite common then, sponsored by Trinity Church Wall Street, called the Trinity Institute. And they would have uh, important speakers in various Christian traditions and outside the Christian tradition. And this particular year, one of the speakers was Brother Roger Schultz, one of the founders of the Taizé community in France. And I was at the Trinity Institute and there was an intermission or a, a break. And one of my friends who I knew uh, came up to me and said, you know, I know Brother Roger, would you like to meet him? And I said, yes, I would. He'd just spoken. So we went into a little room and he was there with another of the monks from the Taizé community. And this guy introduced me to him. I, it was the first time in my life I saw in the face of Brother Roger Schultz the uncreated light. And I knew what it was because I'd actually read about it in books in seminary. So Jesus was transfigured before them. And the divine source of his humanity poured, came out through every pore. Now, here's the issue. What do we do about not having a mountaintop experience? Should we seek them out? Can we make sense of God's work in our life if we've never had one? So, since I've been retired, I was reading in, I, I mentioned this, you know who Dr. Jo Samuel Johnson was? Dr. Johnson in the 18th century? He had an amanuensis or uh, a great uh, admirer named Boswell. And Boswell, in his biography of Johnson, writes about a guy coming to Johnson's house. I've seen his house in London. I've been to his house. And uh, he went uh, to visit Johnson and was in his library and he saw all these books. And so he said to Dr. Johnson, have you read all these books? 
And he said, Sir, I have read in them. That's it. So, William James, The Varieties of Religious Experience. I was looking some things up, and William James was a psychologist. He wrote this book in 1905 or 6. And he said there are two kinds of spiritual experience, at least two. One is the dramatic spiritual experience like the mountaintop or you've been knocked off your pins with an event in your life or something's happened and you have been changed in a positive way I'm going to speak of today about that. And then there's another form of spiritual experience that I will call, he says, the educational variety. And that means that over time, applying yourself to certain things you have looked back and seen the transformative work of God in your life. It has become easier uh, to remain non-anxious in the face of the anxiety and reactivity of other people. You have got some clarity about who you are. You have looked at yourself in a realistic fashion. And you have been able now to come to understand this process of metamorphosis and how important the mountaintop experience is in that sense. So, finally, or nearly finally, Jesus is on the mountain in Matthew's version. Peter, Mr. Credulous of the gang in the, in the New Testament, says, you know, it's good we're here. We could build three dwellings. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's freeze this moment. Have you ever had something happen where you said to yourself, I wish this would go on forever? And then the voice comes, quoting from the psalm, Thou art my beloved son. Listen to him. They're frightened. They prostrate themselves with fear. And only in Matthew's version does Jesus come over to them and touch them. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Gosh, I think about all the times in my life where I have operated out of self-centered fear of one kind or another. And the Savior has said, do not be afraid. You know? It's hard to accept for many that God unconditionally accepts, loves, and forgives us. That's the core. And so when we come to that, we have maybe a transformative experience because we're living as if. And when that happens, you begin to see, gosh, you know, I'm not the person that I used to be. I didn't know all of a sudden I'm a butterfly. What am I going to do with that? You know, the butterfly is a symbol of the resurrection. It's an Easter symbol because of what, it, what happens. So this week, as you prepare for Lent, remember Lent is a time where you need to ask the big question. Am I looking for happiness in the wrong direction? And how do I change the direction I'm looking for happiness in a way that is 
turning towards God so that I can be a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love to the world. So I hope you do that for Lent. Amen.